Well, hello there. Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose for another Saturday podcast. Let's get the show on the road. The Lightning Seeds, Ian Brody is here telling us all about the band's upcoming 35th anniversary greatest hits tour. <gasps> and he's written a memoir too. It's called Tomorrow's Here Today. Plus, Stephen and Anita Mangan are in chatting about their latest book, The Great Reindeer Rescue. Show chef Martha has made a giant festive sausage roll. And Maria McCurlin is clutching your letters, ready to solve two of your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Good morning to you, sir. I am a little um, coffee this morning. I can, I must beg your pardon, sir, on that front. I have a bit of a chest infection. And thank goodness for Alexander Fleming and his antibiotics. Oh, thank goodness indeed. Will you be all ready and better in time for our stage appearance? <laughs> you are very kind to keep mentioning this. People will be so fed up of my book, as indeed I am. But no, um, yes... Tickets are now on sale for the Fortune Theatre on the 10th of December, or once-only chat with Graham Norton and myself. How do you get the tickets? Oh, Ticketmaster <laughs> and ATG.com. Well done, well done. Yeah, you knew. That's, yeah. that's from memory, so I'm sorry if it's not right. Hey, Graham Norton, enough about me and my book, even though I had my book launch this week and I was a bit poorly. Um, but thank you to everyone who came. And also, I have to say, a massive congratulations to John O'McLeod, your very own husband, who won a BAFTA for his film, My Old School. Isn't that brilliant? No, very, very proud. It was a great night up in Scotland and uh, film's still available on iPlayer, I believe. I believe yes, there you go. There. I mean, yeah. I was just thinking, my goodness, Graham Norton, who has, I think the listeners know, multiple BAFTAs to his name, will have to make room on his BAFTA shelf for... I mean, poor old Jono, living in that house, filled with BAFTAs of yours. <laughs> I'm so pleased he's got one of his own. That's all I have to say. I it think was... I would just make loads if I was him. I would just have them pressed out and just move all yours out of the way. So is it, it, yes. is it taken pride of place at home? It is. It has a spotlight on it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when you, when you walk near it, uh, you, you step on a thing on the floorboard and music starts playing. So, yeah, it's, Which it's nice. Which music? Is yeah. it Lulu music? <laughs> that's right. That's what it is. Um, tell, me about the, tell me about your launch. Where was your launch? My launch was at a lovely restaurant, a new restaurant in um, St. Leonard's called Bait, B-A-Y-T-E. And it's a really beautiful venue and it has this log fire. And the minute you walked in, it was all twinkly lights. I had my bicycle there because that's a theme to my book. Of obviously, course. Yes, I had all fairy lights on my bicycle. And I was sitting behind the desk signing for everybody. It was really nice, actually, despite my illness and endless coughing and trying not to cough on people. It was very nice. And, you know, you must know this. It's that hard thing of being the centre of attention is quite hard if you're not, if you don't really like that. Well, it's also <laughs> that thing of what do you, because everybody wants, you know, you to have they want to have a little conversation they don't just want the book and it's kind of you know well thanks for coming hope you enjoy it uh, that sort of thing yes exactly well i did make a little speech and i did say because i 
it's in the book because I left school quite early. I sort of kicked out for truancy and disruptive behaviour. I know, who knew? Um, and I did say that, you know, had I remained at school, they may well have been reading a version of Finnegan's Wake because I would have been much more, <laughs> much cleverer. But anyway, nobody reads that, so it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. Nobody wants to read silly Finnegan. Uh, what, what's it called? Finnegan's Wake. Finnegan's uh, Wake. I haven't seen your funny show last night. Was it good? Tell it me quickly. It was the best ever. It best oh, ever. Well, I, I will watch it on I the I can't I believe Clare. you missed it. I can't believe you missed it. Virgin Radio. This is a thorny one, Graham. Be prepared. Okay. Dear Graham and Maria, I need an Irish solution to a very Irish problem. My sister is having her youngest child baptised soon, though no one in her family apart from me and my parents are in any way believers. My sister went through the motions before with her other children. She had them baptised as babies, simply to get them into the local Catholic national school, and they later made their first communion, an excuse for a day out, presents and cash. Hmm. With her youngest, the obligation to be baptised for school admission fell away in Ireland, but to make her first communion next year, she has to be baptised. Which brings us to the dilemma. My sister has invited us, her siblings and my parents, uh, along to the, to the baptism, and I cannot decide what to do. One, go along to keep the peace and keep my mouth shut at this empty gesture. This day is not about me, after all. Two, stay away and explain that as a struggling but still semi-practising Catholic, I find by-the-number baptisms and bouncy castle communions later to be deeply problematic. Three, stay away, make an excuse, say nothing. Four, option would be to go and to make a scene. But I'm not going to do that. Well done. The problem with staying away, options two and three, is that this will upset and or annoy my sister. The problem with option one, just to go, though I am not madly religious, I am surprised at how painful I find it, that someone I love is so dismissive of something that means something to me. What should I do? Uh, uh, Over to you and the listeners, and that is from Brian in Taunton. Well, Brian in Taunton, when you say it's an Irish solution to a very Irish problem, it's not strictly true because it's a Catholic solution to a very Catholic problem and not all of Ireland is Catholic. So let's just clear that up for now. Um, I think you know, Brian, that the option you have to go for, you know this, is go along and keep the peace. Keep your mouth shut at the what you call empty gesture. It is not about you after all. It's your sister's choice. And yes, you could make a scene. Yes, you could put all the other options in there. But why would you do that when it's simply going along to something that means something to your sister? Now, you say, Brian in Taunton, that you're not madly religious, but she's being dismissive of something that means something to you. I mean, I would say, you know what, Brian, when I told my priest, because I am a lapsed Catholic too, so I understand your dilemma to a certain extent, um, I told a priest once that my friends were... (laughs) having sex before marriage and um and that I knew about it and I knew it was wrong what a busybody I was and the priest said Maria you must go and make your peace with God so Brian in Taunton if indeed you wish to make your peace with God you have all the tools you have confession you have the local priest etc um personally I feel that's an empty gesture and I feel that you should just go to the baptism and enjoy the day 
and try and forgive your sister if you feel she has done a bad thing. Graham, over to you, being Irish. Well, I would say, Brian, if you are vaguely Catholic, surely you want this child to be baptised and to, you know, do its communion. because Good you know, point, good point. That, so it's kind of not about your sister, even though your sister doesn't believe. What's nice is that, you know, if you want this child, and, you know, the child is going to a Catholic school, so uh, obviously they're going to feel left out if they don't get to be, you know, dress up and, you know, hawk their bag from door to door getting cash. Uh, so I get why your sister's doing it, because, the, but I would say, because this is a kind of a, a late-in-the-day bit of a Band-Aid baptism so that she can get to the communion next year it's not like a little bit it's not like a big family day out where you all gather around the baby and there's pictures and da, da, da. so it doesn't sound like that big a deal to me to not go because it's not just mean it won't be that sort of baptism because you know the, the child has got to walk up to the font and go ow that was a bit cold uh you know. <laughs> It, you know what I mean? So I think you're kind of off the hook in a way about going. But I would go. I know, but you know what Catholic families are like. You want the whole family there to celebrate this. And, you know, she is going to a Catholic school, as you say. So she will be able to make her own decisions. She is getting, a, you know, what seems to be a Catholic upbringing at school. And she will make her choices about whether or not she wants to follow that faith when she's old enough. I mean, Brian, you should kind of be pleased in a way, as Graham says. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder what people... I, I can't imagine people will have very strong feelings about this, but you never know, Brian from Taunton. You may have stuck a, 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 you know, a stick in a hornet's nest. We don't know. The responses, part one. And my favourite responders today will be getting, ho, 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 Christmas cottage elves and Santa print Christmas crackers. A pack of 12. Yes, courtesy of Waitrose, pack of 12 Christmas crackers. It's that time of the year already. Uh, Brian and Taunton, get a grip. If you love your sister, you should go and be supportive. It's about respecting her choice and being there as a sibling. How lucky you are to have a sister. If you are Catholic, think of the child and the fact that baptism is important in the Catholic faith. Please just put this into perspective. That's from Teresa in Torquay. Uh, Carol in Liverpool says, Blimey, Brian, much ado about nothing. Why does it matter why she's doing it? She's doing it. Go along, be supportive, and enjoy the time with your family, regardless of the connotations behind it. Uh, Marie says, If only true believers baptise their children, the churches would close down. Contributions for baptisms and weddings is a source of income for the priests and parishes and keeps the doors open uh, for those who are believers and want to practise their faith. Enjoy the family get-together and light a few candles for their, their immortal souls. I think God might have bigger things to worry about at the moment. Aren't you right, Marie? And uh, Lawrence in Tumberdwell says, Graham and Maria, as a Church of England vicar, I can assure you that Brian's problem is not just Catholic or an Irish, or an Irish situation. Uh, this happens right across the church universally. As you say, Brian should definitely go. From a church perspective, we are just pleased that the person is being baptised. Also, none of us really know what is really going on in people's spiritual lives or what seeds of faith this might plant for the future. I've often had baptisms like this, and many years down the line, the family come back for confirmation, family weddings, and even funerals. The whole purpose of baptism is to celebrate family life, both the families known to us and the wider family of the church and Christian faith. He should go, and I hope 
he really enjoys it. Well, uh, Lawrence, you couldn't have put it better or wiser. You are getting some Christmas crackers, sir. Yes, you are. Graham's Guide. Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, my wife and I are close friends with another married couple. Let's call them Tony and Sarah. We're all in our late 30s. Tony and I have been friends since school, and Sarah and my wife became close friends at university. We are the reason they were introduced, and since they got together around 10 years ago, we've been a pretty tight unit. Unfortunately, Tony and Sarah have been going through the motions in the relationship for the past year or so, and Sarah has recently asked for a divorce after meeting someone else. My wife and I are naturally devastated for our friends and have been supporting both of them through this. I knew it would be tricky navigating staying friends with both of them, but I'm thoroughly prepared to maintain both friendships. My wife, however, tells me that we need to pick a side and that it has to be Sarah. We've argued a lot about this as I'm not prepared to abandon my close friend, but she is adamant that we need to support Sarah in her new life and cut Tony off. I can't keep going round in these circles anymore. It's driving us both round the bend. How on earth do we come to some sort of agreement about this? And that is from Jack in Cardiff. Well, Jack in Cardiff, I think the first thing you have to do, you and your wife have to do, is step back from this. This is not your issue. And if you're not careful, it will become your issue because you are arguing about this. So step back. They need to deal with this as a couple on their own. What you do in this is that you support both of your friends, but from a distance. I'm not saying that, you know, divorce is catching, but you can't help with this. What you can do is support them both when they need it. You no need to put your beak in constantly. It's a difficult time for them and they're your friends, so of course you want to support them. And what you do is you keep all knowledge to yourself. So if one of them confides in you about something, you keep it to yourself. You never go back and tell the other one because it's you're navigating a very difficult path, but you can't just suddenly decide we are only going to support one out of the two. That's very childish and not very fair and not very sort of conducive to maintain your friendship. So I would say just step back a bit while they are going through this and try not to be as involved perhaps as you were until the dust settles and then you can possibly meet Sarah's new partner and support Tony in his new life, etc. Um, Graham, I, I feel that I don't have the skills really to give advice on this, but I think you do. Well, no, it's not... I, 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 well, is it harsh to say I don't like Jack's wife very much? She just seems... <laughs> she just seems like a wrong You know, you, well, uh, it is cut very Tony off. To s- yeah, yeah, just yeah. cut Tony off. Like, unless Tony did something that isn't in this letter. Because on the face of it, Sarah's the one who did the dirty. She's the one who's met someone else and gone, oh, I'm off. So, yeah. you know, well, if you were going... she just fell out of love. I mean, that's all she yeah. did, really. She fell out of love. But I just, I don't understand why Tony should just be uh, cut off. I get, you know, she was... Tony was never your wife's friend. So maybe this is, you know, just... uh, She's thinking, oh, here's a good opportunity. You've never seen that man I never particularly liked again. But he's your friend, Jack. You've known him from school. So 
I think your wife cannot forbid you from seeing this man. So you stay friends with him. And I think you could easily say, oh, look, it's all a bit complicated because my wife is really close with Sarah. So she feels uncomfortable about uh, hanging out with you. But I don't. You know, th- yeah. there are two of you in this. Uh, you don't have to kind of, you know, it, 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 not everything has to be a double date is what I'm saying. So you yeah. stay friends with Tony. And then because you are being perfectly reasonable, nice Jack, unlike your wife, uh, you can also be friends with Sarah and her new partner. And la-di-da, life goes on. You know, because yeah. you're in I your late 30s. I think in the fullness of time. Yeah. Things are very things are very raw at the moment and they are going through this. And that's why I think it's important to step back. But as I said, when the dust settles, then, you know, people do move on. It's hurtful at the moment. People do move on. Sarah's got a new relationship, how that pans out, etc. And your friend will have a new relationship as well, Jack, at some point. So it's kind of, you know, being supportive through that. But yeah. it is one of those things that I'm sure a lot of Virgin Radio listeners will have sort of encountered and you don't know where to be and how to get and you want to be supportive but actually sometimes it's better to just rein it in the responses part two and again my favorite responder will be getting christmas cottage elves and santa print christmas crackers a pack of 12 courtesy of waitrose ho 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 merry christmas uh, sarah in sandback sandbatch says uh jack Not your monkeys, not your circus. It's unacceptable of your wife to make demands and choose teams. We're not at school. Agree with your wife that you need to keep out of it and give it time for the dust to settle. All right. Melf Messix. I'm thinking Jack's wife doesn't want him staying close to a single male friend. She's imagining lads' nights out and opportunities for him to meet someone new who is less controlling. I say go out with your maid and check out your options. Could be eye-opening. Oh, Mel, you're worse than I am. Uh, Dave and Gloucester. As a couple, you should be supporting Tony. He's not the one playing hide the sausage with someone else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if uh, Sarah wants to still be friends with her new partner, uh, then you can decide about that later. For now, stick with Tony. All right, Dave. Uh, Frenchie says, never take sides and stay friends with both. If they... Stay your friends. They are real friends. If not, they're loss. And never listen to a partner who says, ditch your friends. It's not for your good, but theirs. And final word to Alex and Bath. Pretty sure Jack's wife slept with Tony. (laughs) I like that, Alex. You've tickled me. Uh, Because... I think you might be true. Anyway, you're getting the Christmas crackers. You're getting a pack of 12 Christmas crackers. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Hey, I'm now joined by Mr. Lightning Seeds, Ian Brody. Hello, Ian Brody. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hey, a pleasure to talk to you, as always. You've got so much going on. Um, but I, I, there's kind of a linking thing. So you've got the, the book, the album, the tour, all called Tomorrow's Here Today. So let's start there. Why, why that title? What does that phrase mean to you? Well, um, it's actually a line from a song of mine called Perfect and the chorus. And it's all about kind of lost moments and moments that you need to, you know, remember or so that they carry on in some way, the energy isn't lost forever. So I thought that was a nice title for my memoirs, which kind of weren't meant to be memoirs. It was meant to be just more anecdotal, but it's kind of ended up a more half half anecdotal and half memoir. And then it's 35 years of the lightning seeds, which is kind of 
you know, surprising and not surprising at the same time. It's kind of lovely and a little bit weird that it's 35 years. So we thought we'd just have a year of, you know, celebrating everything, do a, something for Record Store Day, a compilation, a tour. And coincidentally, the books come out at the same time. So it kind of links them all. And what was it like when sitting down to write a book? Because it is, you know, it's a long time. And, you know, obviously when you write a hit, you don't know at the time, oh, I should remember this because this, this is important. Someone will be interested in this later on. Uh, what was it like trying to kind of piece it all together? Well, I think it's a lot of stuff that you you don't think about at the time. It's just happening. And then when you sit down and you start thinking about it, you think, wow, that's that's unusual. That's That's weird that that happened. And then... I almost started to, me personally, I almost started to doubt myself and think, did I dream that? I, you know, and, <laughs> and, and you know, it's probably imposter syndrome gone mad. But even as the book was coming out and I was reading the audio book, I was thinking, oh, I hope this happened. I hope I didn't just dream. <laughs> <laughs> And but I think it's been to... verified mostly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and going back to kind of the beginning, you know, uh, you left, you know, Big Japan was over. You were you were a successful producer. Uh, what was the idea behind Lightning Seeds? Why was it Lightning Seeds, not just Ian Brody? Why that decision? Well, I was always a little bit of a reluctant producer and I'd kind of ended up as a producer because my friends had formed a band called Echo and the Bunnymen. And I, when they'd asked me to um, produce them, which was odd because I'd never produced anything before, it was too alluring a prospect for me to really turn down. And then I was a producer. But I, I always saw myself as a songwriter. And then there came a certain point where I thought, well, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. And I don't want to be a producer. It's not something I've ever wanted to be. And I thought if I, I love bands who have come together and, I think with bands, there's a serendipity and a, a kind of energy that you can never, you're never clever enough to think about it. Things just happen. So I always wanted to be in a band like that. And I felt like if I call it my name, it's finite and no one can ever join that band and contribute in an equal way. So I kind of called it Lightning Seeds in the hope that the lightning seed, rest of the Lightning Seeds would arrive at some point. And actually, maybe get a singer. I, I was very reluctant to to sing myself, really. So I kind of, um, you know, it was it was kind of if I if I call it a band, it may become one. And do you feel different as part of Lightning Seeds? You know, is Ian Brody in Lightning Seeds different from Ian Brody not? I think to a degree, you you, you have to find. It. I mean, when I was doing my first album. I suppose I, I was trying to find my voice and find a way of singing that would be me and a way of writing lyrics that would be me. And you gradually, through certain songs, arrive at that. And then I suppose in to some degree, you play to that character, but then that character becomes who you are. So there's a kind of, you know, it's a through the looking glass moment, I think, yeah. and then the things just join up. And such a lovely thing, and I can't think of anyone else who's ever had this happen to them. So one of your big hits, Life of Riley, about your, your little baby, but Riley's now in the band. He's in the band and he's the manager. He's actually the boss now, I think. Riley. Okay. So, like, it's, it's, it's sort of, everything's going full circle, but it is a lovely thing for me. I, I think it's it's the reason that I've 
been re-energized really in the last few years. I think it's like sometimes I think when you have a kid, you sort of you want to play them your records and you start to enjoy your records through them, hearing them for the first time. And in a way, it's been like that with Lightning Seeds as it's become his. And I wanted him to experience being on stage. And then he was really good at it. And then we started doing more gigs and then he'd become an integral part of it. So it's kind of, I'd, I'd make that equivalent to when you're showing, you know, someone your record collection and, and the records that you've loved. It's kind of that same process for me, having him in the band. And also, just I just think a gorgeous thing for an audience to be in the crowd and kind of go, "Oh my God, that's the guy!" Like that's just incredible that he's that he's there on stage. Uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and it's it's great when we play "Life O'Reilly" because it's, I think it is always an emotional song to sing, and it's kind of a weird thing that he wants to me playing it you know it's a little surreal. and now i'll make you play it um, <laughs> we should say you're going on tour yeah yeah we're going on a few tours actually we're kind of you are aren't you yeah 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 ahead planning you see that's riley um <laughs> so it, it's 35 years lightning seeds so we're going to try and make next year a real kind of party and sort of do you know just celebrate everything and do as much as we can some new stuff some old stuff, some gigs. And before that, we're going to be playing with Madness around the country in a couple of weeks' time, I think. Uh, yeah, so let's say the thirty first, uh, the 35th Anniversary Greatest Hits Tour, uh, that is kicking off next November. So basically a year. You've got a year to get ready. Match fit Tickets for that. on sale now, though. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, they went on sale yesterday. Uh, lightningseeds.co.uk, all one word, lightningseeds.co.uk. You can get the tickets there. And it kicks off in, where does it kick off? Oh, uh I can't see. Anyway, I know you ended in Wolverhampton. as good as mine, I have to yeah, say. But... You ended, you, you'll be there. You'll be there. And and how did the madness thing come about? Did did some guy come along and put you together? Or is this Riley's idea? No, I think this this just came about. It's probably, we, we have played a couple of times with madness over the years. And I think it's just a fabulous bill because obviously it's, I mean, we only get to play for a short time early on. So it's not like the full Lightning Seeds experience, but it's kind of like, an evening of songs really between madness and ourselves it's just like so many songs that everyone will know i think it'd just be a, a brilliant occasion you know like that is a lot of hits if you play your two bands together that's a hell of a lot of hits and i'm a big madness fan so it's always it's lovely to get to to get to see them a lot as well and do you remember when because i am i right thinking when you started lightning seeds it was never meant to be a kind of a live band you you never going to tour when did that idea come about well it was kind of i think it's not so much that i didn't ever want to play live but i just always wanted to get a singer so i was very um hesitant to be the singer and then in the studio i was comfortable enough to sing and then really it wasn't until the third album, Jollification, that we actually started playing live. And I think that was just, you know, at some point you want to live it and breathe it, you know. So it, I, I really, although it was quite a daunting prospect and I had to kind of grow up in public because I'd never sung in front of people before. A lot of the time people get to kind of do their first few gigs in a little bar with not many yeah. people. I kind of had to go straight on to, you know, hopefully a sold out show with a few thousand people so it was intimidating and at first it, you know, I'm 
after 25 years, well, 35 years, I'm nearly in tune, I would say. <laughs> but also, Ian, it must have been so strange because you weren't just starting to perform live. You had, you know, you had a bunch of hits by then. It was your third album. So it, what was it like taking those songs from the studio out to a crowd? Well, it's a funny situation because in the studio, you're trying to get everything absolutely perfect. And live, it's just about the moment. And there's a special moment every time you do a gig between you and an audience. And every gig is different. And it's, it took me a while to get my head around that. My good friend, Terry Hall, actually, we were working together at the time. And I was very nervous about doing shows, you know. And he kind of said to me, well, what about if we do a couple of shows together and you see your friends singing and we'll have the same musicians and we'll just switch around and it'll be less of a kind of intimidating step. So in a way, that's what the first shows were planned like that. And it was kind of, it was a brilliant thing from him, really a fantastic gesture to kind of ease me into the idea of being on stage. And how fixed is the lineup now? Because obviously it's, it, you know, it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty much, I love my band, you know, and and I think, I'm very comfortable playing the gigs now. It's taken a while, but when you've got the right people around you, it kind of gives you the superpower to go on stage, I think. And um, the band's been, you know, pretty much the same people for the last three or four years, and hopefully will continue to be that, really. And what about new stuff? Because obviously, uh, you know, your seventh studio album, uh, that what was that last year, wasn't it? Yeah. The, yeah, um, with a massive gap in between. The, the well, last... yeah, that's what I was thinking about this this thirteen year gap. And given it's you, it's not like you fell out with yourself, you know. So, Absolutely. are you? Is there is there more new stuff coming? Yeah, well, I, I think that's quite important to me because obviously we're celebrating the past next year with the the tour and record store day. But I've got three songs that I've nearly finished that I think are three really good ones. So the idea is to release them through the year culminating in the last one being just before the tour uh and then i suppose then it's a moment to say right let's turn a page and what's next excellent well listen it's been lovely to talk to you thank you very much for joining us let's just remind everybody that they uh you can get tickets for next year's greatest hits tour uh on lightningseeds.co.uk and the album and the book are out now thank you very much ian take care of yourself bye thank you so much bye bye still two guests to come i'll be chatting to sibling duo Stephen and anita mangan about their latest festive offering and the great reindeer rescue but before that, I'm starving. Martha, where are you? Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, are we saying Merry Christmas now? Is that oh, what's going on? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Graham. I've got some Christmas goodies for you. You really do. So I was I was teasing the listeners earlier with this and calling it a, a giant festive sausage roll. But it's, I, I mean, it's... It, because people might think, oh, that's big, like a Greg's big one, but it's it's not. It, what what is? It's more like a kind of a strudel, a sausagey strudel. A sausage strudel, I love that. Yeah, it's like a really big long pie or a meatloaf is kind of how I'm describing it. Definitely a centerpiece, like for the meal rather than for your little picnic or for your walk. Or I was thinking maybe like a, a Boxing Day you know, buffet style thing. Oh, people... that would be nice, wouldn't it? With a big, big dollop of cranberry sauce. And a oh, yeah. A few little of those leftover bits, but it's always nice to have something big and fresh in the middle so that people are like a bit excited still. 
Yeah, and also you can come and go and graze because really everyone still stuff from Christmas Day. So you can kind of have a graze and get a little plate and sit. Oh, yes, I'm there. Uh, absolutely. Now, so it's not just sausage though. It's a jumbo. Is it chestnut and sage? It is jumbo chestnut and sage sausage roll. Wowza. Um, so is it kind of like stuffing in there? Kind of. I mean, it's still very much, it's very much just sausage. It's not been bulked out with any of those breadcrumbs or like kind of, there's no cheating here. It's <laughs> intensely sausage-y. Um, it's got a whole packet of those lovely cooked whole chestnuts, which just adds such a Christmassy flavour. It's like we only really have chestnuts in December and it's they're just so deliciously sweet and it works really well with the pork instead of something like apple. And they don't release liquid in the oven, which is so good because if you put little chunks of apple and things like that into sausage rolls, they start to weep in the oven and your pastry gets all soggy but chestnuts they hold their shape they add a lovely sweetness and they make sure everything's still nice and crispy at the end and what sort of pastry are you using so i'm using a very cheaty block of puff pastry oh marvelous <laughs> i love it when you cheat i love it i love it when even you go you know what there's an easier way i mean no one no one has got time to make puff pastry especially not at christmas you've got so many things going on the last thing you want to be doing before a party or on boxing day is is creating delicate layers of butter and, and pastry and chilling it all the days of the year so make sure you buy it as a block or you can have it in the freezer uh Right. Uh, how do we make it, Martha? So we are going to start with the sausage meat filling. Um, we start with three onions. I think you can almost see, it's like sense the size of this roll by knowing that there's three whole onions in it. But you want to finely chop up your onions and then they go into a big frying pan and you want to sweat them down nice and slowly with some butter and some olive oil for about half an hour. So quite a long time. Wow. But it just creates such a lovely gentle sweetness. If you stick in your onions and you don't give them that proper caramelisation, they still have that kind of like slightly aggressive raw onion flavour. So it's quite nice to just gently coax all the sweetness out of them. We're then adding into that three cloves of garlic and then you want to take your pouch of the Merchant Gourmand cock cooked whole chestnuts and I give them a good squeeze in the bag to break them up so you don't have to get a chopping board out and just breaks them down nicely. All of that goes into the pan and then you give it a really good stir and let that cool down completely. In a separate bowl we're taking our sausage meat so Waitrose sell pork sausage meat that's already seasoned really beautifully with black pepper and nutmeg so we want two packs of that into a bowl with a chopped up pack of sage give that a really good mix then we're going to fold through all of those onions and those lovely chestnutty bits to make this lovely festive filling Mm. and then you can stick that into the fridge until you're ready to kind of bake or ready to prepare it but then you want to take your block of puff pastry roll it out into a nice large rectangle and then the top of this has got a lovely little lattice pattern which some people would look at and think oh my goodness we're plaiting they were plaiting pastry this is way too <laughs> difficult <laughs> to achieve and I'm not doing it I'm just going to roll it up like a regular sausage roll but it's actually a really simple little trick you basically want to put your sausage meat down the middle of that pastry and then take a knife and you know kind of like a chevron pattern like where it's like an arrow oh yes yes you just want to take your knife and cut little kind of three centimeter strips all the way down and then they basically just go one over the other all over the top folding it up and then closing it in it doesn't matter if there's any little gaps you'll just get a nice bit of crispy sausage meat there then you want to brush the whole thing with egg sprinkle it with sesame seeds and then it goes into the oven for about 45 to 50 minutes until it's nice and crispy all the way through or if you want to get yourself ahead you can do it all the way up to the folding it within its pastry and then you can wrap it up and stick it into your freezer and then defrost it just before you want to bake it when you've got your guests around or you're having your party or something like that and what's delicious because you kind of think oh a giant sausage roll that might be really kind of greasy or something but this really isn't is that just because you used very good quality sausage meat 
I think good quality sausage meat, not adding anything too liquidy, so making sure your onions have really had the water evaporated out of them, baking it properly on a nice piece of baking parchment, um, will give it a really lovely crisp finish. And using an all-butter puff pastry as well will create a really delicious flavour. Yeah. And what if you, could you do, could you make this with like pork mince or would that just be madness and it would all just fall apart? I think sausage meat's got a slightly higher fat content, so you want that to help it all stick together because you can serve this hot or you can let it cool down and kind of slice it up a bit like you would a pork pie and have it as like part of a, yeah, a nice grazing table. And if you just use the pork mince, it would kind of crumble away a little bit as you cut it. So you need that kind of extra indulgent fatty sausage meat <laughs> to help yeah. hold it all together. If you want this recipe, then go to waitoast.com slash showchef. It's there. You can all see all of Martha's recipes there. Also, check out our visuals at our socials at Virgin Radio UK for the jumbo chestnut and sage sausage roll. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning, Martha. Thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Now, always a pleasure to welcome to the show Stephen and Anita Mangan. I do so now. Good Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that, that happened. That happened already. Yeah. Suddenly, that yeah. time goes. And it's the 25th of November. That means, I've just realised, which means exactly one month oh. till Christmas hits us. Panic. Panic. Oh, you had to bring it up. Well, you had to bring it up. I had to course, bring it up. Yeah, the two of you are now part of Every Child's Christmas because you bring us... Is this your third book? Fourth. Together? Fourth. Fourth. I Fourth, I know. Oh, wow. You should know. Uh, this one's called The Great... Reindeer Rescue. So, who wants to uh, tell us the story? Stephen, Anita? Uh, I'm the older brother, so I'll go first. Oh, all right. Okay, cool. Is that right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Blitzen, the reindeer Blitzen uh, has retired because uh, they can't keep up anymore. It's all a bit much. It's quite hard work pulling Santa's sleigh. So, Santa's got a new reindeer in called Dave. Uh, and Dave, uh, it's his first Christmas joining the others to pull the sleigh. He's very nervous, he's very excited, but he makes a right hash of it. And uh, all the other reindeer, including Rudolph and Santa, get scattered to the four corners of the earth. And Dave, the reindeer, and Holly, a little girl called Holly, have to find everyone and bring them back in order to save Christmas. And so, Anita, when... So what's the idea? Does Stephen bring this idea to you? He he writes it all, and then and then you know I get I get the script, and I have to then draw the pictures. But he he knows that um, horses are quite challenging to draw, so he made a book about loads of reindeer, basically. But just... also, no, not just that, but but also you must think, oh, don't make me draw reindeers because like everyone's, you know, we all know what a, you know, like we all have a kind of animated reindeer in our heads. Well, these are quite different, aren't they? Dave. They are quite different. Dave's got sort of Elton John sort of star glasses sunk a glot on, hasn't And a he? party hat, and then Rudolph's got a, a shaved eyebrow. Yeah. Um, Woo! He's always very trendy. He's very main character, Angie <laughs> Rudolph. He really thinks of himself as the big I am. He's quite annoying in the book. I don't know how what he's like in real I life. How does Rudolph end up in Vegas? <laughs> well, the, the, the reindeer all kind of end up in a sort of place that is appropriate to who they are uh, through this sort of magical explosion that happens. I should say that Holly's house is one of those houses that's decorated with a million Christmas lights. You know, every neighbourhood has one where the person oh, yes. who lives there goes absolutely bonkers for Christmas. And there are 40 fake Santas crawling up the outside of the building and there's lights everywhere. So, um, yeah, yeah. V- uh, Rudolph, who thinks 
thinks of himself as the star of the show. And I suppose he is the star of the show. He's the reindeer at the front. He's the one everyone knows, the most famous reindeer. So he ends up in Vegas uh, with his own show. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Christmas book, it's a, it's a well-covered area, isn't it? And I felt I felt elves have had enough attention. There seem to be so many books about elves and Santas. Um, I thought it was time for the reindeer to step out of the shadows. And is it kind of a, is there a, a meeting? Is there a sort of marketing meeting where somebody goes, uh, your your lead character should be a, a little girl, not a little boy in this one? Or or is it, it is it that conscious? It's not that conscious. I mean, there is there is a moment when I have to get on the phone to my editor and sort of talk through the story. And either there's a kind of, oh, that's great, that'll be brilliant. Or there's a pause and they'll say, <laughs> that's just too weird, Stephen. That's just <laughs> too weird. But actually, I, I do always disagree agree because I think children can handle weird I think children like weird I think children go for that so but yeah there's not it's not it's not it's not driven by what the market wants put it that way I I write the story that I think will work and they they then just slightly nudge it if they think it's you know mating for children yeah. Uh, if it's about string theory or something, then it gets. Uh, but, gets but also, the I, I I think the two of you have kind of this reputation because your first book, Escape the Rooms, you know, that was a, a properly sort of complicated concept about grief and loss for kids. So you've got, I think, you've got kind of license to to do kind of uh, more un, unusual things. Yeah. Is, is it harder? Now that your kids, presumably all your kids, have now outgrown these books. Uh, actually, um, uh, uh, my two eldest and Anita's two have, but my youngest is seven, mm. so he's actually just coming into. I've sort of, you know, he's my new focus group, uh, <laughs> and I'm reading the Great Reindeer to Rescue to him at the moment, and I'm happy to say, uh, you know, it's always one more chapter, one more chapter. So that's because children aren't polite, you know. If he's not liking it, they'll just. Just, I mean, the one thing he won't let me do is voices. Uh, you know, I thought as an actor that was the thing I could bring to bedtime that would children would love. That this, you know, my acting ability, I could bring these stories to life. So I always want to do a million different accents, and he's just like, just read it, Dad. Just read the book. <laughs> no voices. Well, that's all the, the bad reviews are coming from the bedroom. And you, you're saying this is your fourth book together. So in the beginning, I'm sure you were very respectful of each other's feels, <laughs> the, the writer, the illustrator. Is there a bit more kind of a, a push and pull now? I, I don't know. I think we're still we're still keeping to our lanes and, um, you know, I did I did actually manage to get a few words into this book. Stephen said, you know, he's the writer and I'm the illustrator and never the twain shall meet. And I actually put a few words in. Outrageous. I know. I've, yeah, well, I'm, doing, I'm drawing all over your drawing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I can't draw, unfortunately. So there's no there's no heart. There's no question of me getting involved in the artwork. Uh, Anita's very good at it and I would just ruin it so but um, do you give notes do you give notes kind of like oh Rudolph looks a bit angry here or... yeah you know if I had something else in mind but there's that weird brother sister thing mm. synchronicity going on that we don't I, you know she I, we just get what each other is thinking most of the time and when she draws it I was I normally 95% of the time I'm like that's exactly how I imagined it or that's funnier than I would have thought of it rather than Oh no! What have you done? That's a bit weird. Uh, so yeah, it, it works really well, um, and we and we, we, we don't fall I, out. I, well, I feel we can talk about this now because we're four books in, and it's obviously worked. It's gone really well. But were either of you a bit kind of like a oh, is this a good idea to work with my brother to work with my sister? 
Well, I've I've been wanting to do this for years, and he refused. No, he didn't. But it, it, like you say, Stephen, he says, you know, when we were ten, we can't imagine that we would ever work with our brother or sister. But but I think now the whole it, idea. I think the whole idea of doing books. I mean, you've done dozens. You've done like seventy, haven't you, or something? So yeah, this like, is a not, library. I've written a library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea of doing a book at all was nerve-wracking because you know well you know yourself you know it's like it's like when models or pop stars say they want to act and I'm like well it's not that easy ducky you know you, want, <laughs> you know you, you think people just turn of course annoyingly some of them turn up and are, are amazing at it and I'm sure writers look at me and go well you know what but so you're nervous doing it anyway because you just want it to be good and I think um but we've enjoyed the process we've loved it and the book's do well and children seem to like them so yeah um but there, there was nerves about just doing it at all in the first place let alone working together working together was never really an issue because i knew how, how good an eater is um, oh, you're saying all the right things i know you can pay me yeah. later yeah <laughs> making up for all those years as a child when i was horrendous to you yes <laughs> and i needed to be a successful illustrator do you have to have a kind of a a house style you know what i mean does it need to be recognizably anita mangan I think so, but that's that's something that's innate anyway. That I can't be anything else but what I do. But I, but it has at the same time it has developed over the years, and um, I have got different ways of doing things depending on um, depending on what I'm illustrating. But with Stephen, I can be completely full on mangan weird, which is um, which is <laughs> which great. Is the best kind of mangan. it is, yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's now mangan weird. <laughs> it's a whole genre. You'll find it in Waterstones. <laughs> And how far ahead do you now plan? I guess that is book five kind of in the works or you would be heady with the success of this one? Halfway through the first draft of book five as we speak, yeah. In fact, I shouldn't be sitting here, I should be at home. I can feel that daily word count is looming and I need to get back and uh, try and get into it. Yeah, so uh, the the, the publishing world waits for no man or woman. Um, (laughs) Or reindeer. Or reindeer. Um, But yeah, you know, it's, it's... Once you have the idea... And it the idea grabs you. You can't wait to get back to the, you know, the the laptop. Yeah. But it's when it's when you don't know where where you're going to go next or what the idea is that it can be really tortuous. Mm. And, and is the idea work. you'll always stay in this kind of sweet spot where it's kind of between? It's sort of you can read them to kids, but also kids. This might be the first book that a kid reads. Yeah, I mean, it's that seven or eight, six, seven, eight year olds up to twelve. I don't. Yeah, people. I. It feels like a good age to me because I think kids are sophisticated enough to get quite complicated ideas, but they'll also come with you on some very silly adventures. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why that's the age I picked to write about. Maybe because that was the age that, write, that reading really grabbed me. That's when I first started to realise how great books could be and how you know how much I love them. I've always had my head in a book as a kid. And maybe that's why that's the age I write for, or whether it's just an arrested emotional development. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, the, like you said, the books should be enjoyable for adults as well, because, you know, a lot of the time adults are reading these books to their kids yeah. or to their grandkids. And you want the adults to be finding stuff in there for their enjoyment, because then everyone wins and everyone wants to read them. It's the Pixar of books, isn't it? That's how I like to think of it, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's how much money we make as well. Similar kind of uh, ballpark. Yeah, manga not so weird now, thank you very much. 
Uh, the Great Reindeer Rescue is the name of the book. It's out now in hardback. Always a pleasure to talk to the two of you. Uh, take care. And we're now saying it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yay. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.